working. I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to get recording started. All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Create, Make Money, Be Happy Telesummit. I am your host, Vanessa Vizgrando-Pouchet, and I am so excited to have you here on our very first interview for the summit this year. Now, this summit is a dream come true to bring all of these amazing speakers together for this action-packed resource. The Create, Make Money, Be Happy Summit is in service to all of you as my gift to help you on your journey of realizing and taking action on your dreams to be an artist. These interviews are going to be honest and direct. We're going to be sharing stories of triumphs and failures and really fill you in how you can take your next step on your path to realizing your dreams. I know your time is valuable, so I guarantee that this information is going to be exactly what you need. Just to give you a quick intro of who I am, um, I'm a passionate planner artist and a creative business coach, and I work with fun-loving, driven artists who want to double their income while they do what they love. My job is to show artists how to leverage their creativity so that they can build a profitable business based on their art, their creative products, and their services. Let's just take a moment and go over exactly who this summit is for and what it's all about. So this summit is perfect for you. If you're an artist or creative, you're looking for strategies, inspiration, and mentors to help you succeed. Perfect for you if you are into techniques, resources, systems, and structures that will help you evolve to your best version personally and professionally. You want to turn your hobby into a more serious part or full-time career or you're looking for a nudge to get your act together so you can share your purpose, passion, and gifts with the world. And here's what you can expect from the summit experience. Create an online artistic community of supporters, industry-leading artists sharing their knowledge, expert advice, and strategies so that you leave with proven ways to leverage your creativity, ways to double your income through selling your art and products, Break through fears, struggles, and limiting beliefs that are holding you back from your artistic greatness. Resources, structures so you can build a profitable, portable, creative business. We're going to show you it's no longer okay for artists to use the phrase starving or believe that if you choose to follow your dreams as an artist, your only option is to struggle. A roadmap to what your next step is for you and your art business. And last, it is to have fun and get inspired. You are in the right place if these statements resonated with you. So thank you very much for being here. You know, this summit has been manifesting in my mind for some time now because along my journey as an artist, I wish that someone had put together this resource loaded with inspirational and strategical information for me. It would have really created massive shortcuts and worry, and fear, and anxiety, just cut it right out of my life. I know what it's like wishing you were getting, you know, curated into the shows, winning some awards, getting some recognition, having your sales, you know, really fire up and hit through the roof. 
I know what it's like to want to teach the workshops instead of take them. And I really know what it's like to have this big dream of breaking into the art scene and having everyone know your name. And then you freeze. And you don't. Because you don't know where or how to begin. You know, artists really look at the successful artists, and we really yearn for that. And, and we wonder, you know, how is it possible? And a lot of times we never take the first step because we don't know what to do. We don't believe that we're good enough, or we don't believe we have what it takes. But here's the deal. No one artist is more special than anyone else. This entire panel has learned how to leverage their creativity. They've been determined. They have failed. They've bounced back, and they've done whatever it took to make their dreams a reality. It is so important for you to know that you already have what it takes. You already have the skills. You just need to learn how to leverage your resources. So all interviews are available for 24 hours for free. Um, and so I put together an upgrade package so you can access these resources in your media library for the rest of your life. And if you want to listen to them at your convenience, in your studio, in the car, you know, long after this event is over, head on over to create Make Money Be Happy slash VIP and get your upgrade package today. Now, before we begin and jump into the main content with our speaker today, let's just hold the intention together that you're going to learn a new technique, a strategy, have an aha moment, a breakthrough, and use this information to accelerate your creativity and your business. Now, today I'm so excited. I have on the line with me Linda Fistler. And just to give her the amazing introduction that she deserves, Linda is an artist, a writer, an internet radio and TV personality. She paints landscapes and seascapes in an impressionist style using a palette knife in such a way that the viewer believes that paintings are created with a brush. The broken color and attention to value, composition and edges, while using her knives, have allowed the viewer to enjoy and experience the painting without giving us thought to how it's created. Her work as an internet radio and TV personality is an outlet for her to spread the joy of painting and fostering an art appreciation to artists and art lovers alike. Art Chats with Linda Fitzler and Color Your World are enjoyed worldwide thanks to the internet and the social media where the information of these shows has quickly spread. Welcome, Linda. I'm so excited to have you here today. Hi, Vanessa. Thank you for having me. That was a Great. quite an introduction. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and I'm really excited to talk to you about uh, your topic today because it's all about don't rush your journey. And I know we all wish we already had the game plan. We wish we already knew what it was going to look like. We were already there. You know, we wish we were at the end. And it's really important that we don't rush the journey. So this is going to be really great to talk to you about this today. Yeah, it, you're um, so right. I mean, it, it really is interesting that, you know, we always want to be at the end of the journey, but we never want to enjoy the journey that, that we take. So it will be interesting talking about this today. Yes, yes, the whole one step at a time um, always seems so slow. <laughs> yes, yes. 
Yeah, so just to give everybody a background about you, um, can you tell us a little bit about your career um, before you were an artist? I know that you had a really successful career at Procter & Gamble. Um, can you tell us a bit about that? Sure. Um, I actually I, I uh, graduated from high school, and my dream had always been actually to um, go out to the University of Southern California and, and go to film school. Um, I didn't have the means for that. My parents didn't have the means for that. So I ended up applying for a job at Procter & Gamble. I live in Cincinnati, and their headquarters are here in Cincinnati. And um, I landed a job about six months after I put my application in, and um, it was really interesting because the HR director that I was uh, interviewed with asked me, you know, where do you see yourself in five years? And I made the comment that I saw myself, um, you know, basically managing people and in a manager's position. They were actually interviewing me for a non-manager position. And, you know, when the interview started, I was like, you know, what am I going to say when he asked me that question? And, and this gentleman said to me, that will never happen because you don't have a college degree. So I'm 18 years old. This guy is saying, I'll never be a manager at Procter & Gamble. And I was sitting there thinking, well, then why should I even bother going to work for this company? Because, you know, there's no no advancement. So I, I made that my goal, that, you know, I was going to be, you know, promoted to management um, on my terms, not theirs. <laughs> and I spent 26 years working there. And at the end, when I resigned, I was a manager at Procter & Gamble and one of the few people that actually got promoted to management without going to college. So that was that was my goal, and, and that happened, and I made it happen. And actually, for about the, I guess after about um, 15 years or so with the company, um, I was considered an expert in a number of different areas at P&G. So... Um, with that backing that and being a specialist in, in that particular area, it made it you know almost impossible for p and g not to promote me to manager and then um the the things that the other thing about Procter and Gamble that is really good is you have to learn very many different different disciplines like you have to know marketing because if you can't market your product or your project it's it's not going to get funded um you have to learn oh, you know a whole bunch of things, how to design things. I mean, there's, it's just so multidimensional. And uh, while you're an expert at one thing, uh, you you actually have to have all of these other skills basically in your pocket. So uh, from that standpoint, you know, creating that skill set, set and then learning how to um, manage all of the disciplines of a project, uh, things like that, multitasking if you want to call it that, you know, all of that was a great background uh, for setting up in our career uh, when I when I did resign. So the, the mm -hmm. successful part was that I did, you know, I set that goal out that I was going to be a manager, and, and that's what happened. And it was really actually kind of funny because when they did promote me to manager, I worked there for, I don't know, three or four, five years. I actually had been acting as a manager before they actually promoted me. But, um, you know, it was kind of like I, I sat up and went, okay, well, I accomplished my goal. What next? <laughs> we don't want to work here anymore. <laughs> yeah, I did it. Let's go. <laughs> right, yeah. So I think that's like being so bound and determined, and you said, this is my goal, and I'm going to do it, and you set that intention, and it happened quite quickly, exactly. might I add. 
Well, yeah, it didn't, you know, the funny part of it is, again, don't rush your journey. The funny part of it is that it didn't feel that quickly. But mm-hmm. without having a college degree, there was so much that I had to learn at the company um, through wonderful mentors and then, you know, and sponsors of me. And then at some point, you know, you, you got past that stage and you started being able to think for yourself. And, you know, that whole 26 years, that I worked there, that that was a full journey. And when you sit back and look back on that now, you're sitting here, you know, I'll sit here and say, oh, yeah, I remember when I did that or I remember this particular milestone along that, those 26 years. Um, and hopefully, you know, you, like anybody else, you kind of forget the bad times, you only remember the good times. But, you know, there was a lot of learning. There was a lot, there was some pain. There was some, you know, growth. There was a lot of growth. Um, you know, and then there were the very successful times that you that you celebrate, uh, and and there was learning in everything. Every bit of that 26 years at Procter and Gamble, there was learning there. Um, when I, like I said, when I resigned, it got to the point where I felt I had learned enough, and that that part of my journey was over. It was, you know, it was time to start a new journey. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like you know, the skills that you learned at Procter & Gamble, you know, becoming the expert, looking, learning the design, the marketing, and the multitasking, and being really multidimensional, you know, to, I'm, I'm assuming that these really help you set yourself up for your art career, but would you say that you were really ready for your career in the art world when you were finished with Procter & Gamble? Not at all. <laughs> it was, um, you know, it, it was really funny. As I, I can remember a, a time... Uh, I had basically, I think I was still working at Procter & Gamble, and I was taking a workshop with someone local here in Cincinnati. And, and I remember walking out to my car and, and calling my husband and saying, you know, I can do this. I don't need to work at P&G. I can be an artist. I can do this. I can teach a workshop. I can, you know, I, I can paint. My art's just as good as this person's art is. And, you know, and really being overconfident and somewhat cocky you know, about the whole thing, and so, you know, my husband being the darling that he is, so, well, okay, well, let's go do it, <laughs> and, and we did, and I walked away, you know, I resigned, and I walked away, and um, with, you know, then then there was, like, this, this monthly period or, or daily thing of, well, how come nobody's rushing in to buy my art? How come, you know, I'm not marketing it. How come it's not selling? And, it, you know, so it, it was, how much do I really know? And, it, it really was a, a awakening that as much as we like to be artists and as much as we like to think that we can stand behind our easel and just paint all the time, that's not the way it works. You know, it, it, somebody isn't going to magically get lost <laughs> on the way to somewhere and discover you and, and decide that you're the most important artist in the world. And you know, that just isn't the way it works. The art world very much is like Procter & Gamble in that it is a industry. It is a business. There is a whole business side to this. Um, even if you don't want to be a part of the corporate art world, there is a whole business side that you have to understand and that you have to learn in order for you, especially with social, you know, with the social media outlets that are out there now, you have to learn how to market yourself. And it's so very, very important considering, I mean, I was astonished when I started doing some some research and found out that in America, in the United States alone, there are 4.2 million artists out there. That's a heck of a lot of competition. 
And mm-hmm. I just, you know, I, and, and that's, I mean, that covers all the umbrellas, all the different kind of arts that there are, representational, abstract, you name it. You know, that's the total number of artists that are out there. And, you know, and when I started looking at statistics and seeing things like that, it would, you know, really hit me that I wasn't as prepared as I thought I was when I, when I walked out of P&G, you know, um, about eight years ago, six or, I guess about seven years ago, uh, and said that, you know, I'm, I'm going to be a full-time artist now. I wasn't there, looking back at my art now and where my art is today, I wasn't there uh, when I walked away from Procter & Gamble to start selling art, to actually be in competition with any artist, let alone <laughs> the name guys, the, the master artists that are out there. So, you know, and, and then there, you know, there's the whole thing about competitions, you know, entering competitions and then not being rewarded and, you know, that even happens to some of the, the big names artists that are out there today. The only difference is, is that we don't know that they entered that competition. They don't tell everyone. So, you know, there's a lot, there was a lot to learn. There still is a lot to learn. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, you just can't rush it. There And there's so many different areas where you can become an expert. And um, I, I certainly wasn't prepared for for that. I mean, here I'm thinking, being the very, you know, I was very scientific, very technology-y, and uh, you know, very left brain at Procter and Gamble. And I'm thinking, no one else in the world was an artist when I left Procter and Gamble. And I don't know what I was quite thinking back then, but um, you know, it, well, it, me, it was okay. Go ahead. Yeah, let me let me ask you real quick. You know, you're you know you're coming to the close at, at being at Procter and Gamble. What was that that final turning point that you just knew you had to make this choice? Uh, there were some Procter and Gamble when I started working back back at Procter and Gamble in 1979 it was a totally different company than when I left it in 2000 and uh, I think it was about 2004. Um, you can tell I've, I've kind of like erased some of these dates from my memory because I don't want to actually realize how old I am. I guess. <laughs> it's a, so it's kind of uh, interesting from the standpoint of. When I was there in 1979, it very much felt like a smaller company, that it was, um, you know, they, they really cared about you. If, if your parents or your family was going through a hard time, it was like, hey, don't worry about, about work, you know, go go take care of family. And, um, you know, it, it, it really did feel more, it felt smaller. By the time I left, it was a global company. It was worldwide, and um, there was a lot of pressure. There was a lot of stress. and. You know, there's only so much that you can do with baby diapers before you actually pull your hair out. So, <laughs> um, you know, I mean, 20 babies in a room when you're doing a late each study and, you know, and they're all crying and stuff like this. At some point you just wake up and go, is this going to be the rest of my life? And um, the answer is no, it's not going to be the rest of my life. Um, so, I, you know, I was, um, I, I didn't have children. Uh, I couldn't have children. So... Uh, at some point at my Procter & Gamble career, uh, basically after I um, had found out that I couldn't have children, I, I basically, you know, sat on the couch and looked at my husband again and said, I don't think I can do this for the rest of my life. I have to find something else that means something, something else that, you know, is creative. Now, through this time, I don't want you to think that, you know, I just kind of went into this, I, I did kind of go into this robotic um, thing, but all the way through my career at, at Procter & Gamble, I was writing. That was my creative outlet more than painting. Um, I had, a, and I'm still working on a novel uh, that 
uh, George Gallo, who is a screenwriter and director in Hollywood and also an artist. Um, George and I are working on a book together that, you know, that I have actually been working on for 20 years. So, um, you know, like I said, there's, there's a whole thing there about the journey again. For 20 years I was writing this book. I'm now actually typing it up so that I can work on this with George and, and we'll see where it ends up. You know, I'm hoping it's going to end up as a novel. You know, I'm, I'm hoping that it may end up as a movie. But, you know, the bottom line is that, you know, there's 20 years of work there and it still hasn't gone anywhere, but it's getting somewhere now. And I, I just basically, you know, back to your question of what was that little push, it was, it was basically... Um, without getting into too many details, there was a managerial decision that I didn't agree with. And, um, you know, I could have fought it legally, but decided that I didn't want all of that pain and all the mo- and watch all the money fly out of my bank account. And I just decided that it was time to, that D&G and I parted ways. It was a big red stop sign that just basically said, you're not supposed to be here anymore. Go, go do something else. And, um, you know, it just so happened that art had become... Um, part of my life about 15 years before, no, about 10 years before I started, um, or 10 years before I left Procter & Gamble. So I had been painting as a hobby. And, um, you know, that, I put, that was that became the focus right after I left Procter & Gamble. But even today, I mean, I, I'm always writing, and that is my first love. I've been doing it as a child. I, I would sit there and write scripts for movies or for television shows that were my absolute favorite um, shows, I would, during the week, um, after school, sit down and start writing a, a TV show script. So there were so many things that I did when I was a kid around writing that I absolutely love, and that actually comes easier to me than sometimes painting does. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, I find that most people, um, you know, when we go and we get a normal job and we do all these things, there's usually some sort of sequence of events that we have to make a decision. Either we kind of stick in this painful place or we take the leap and we do what we really desire to do. And, um, it, you know, it looks like you had the same exact kind of moment. You know, I had to make a choice. And you chose the leap and you set off and, and you really you know, started your art career up. Uh, and now, so Tell us a little bit about, you know, you said you weren't really sure, you thought you knew the whole artistic business, but, you know, it's a whole business. You know, there's a, so much to learn about it. Marketing, you said, and the social media. You know, did you find mentors right when you kind of were at this point of leaving your job and starting your art, art career? Um, did you find people who could really kind of nurture this in you, or how did, how did that all happen? But yeah, there, it, when I actually when I left Procter and Gamble, um, I was a little too proud, I guess is the way to say it, because you know I can do this on my own. I don't need anyone. Um, you know, after you get rejected from a number of shows and, and galleries are, are telling you ah, your art's not quite ready yet, you start to you know that that proudness goes away, <laughs> that confidence kind of disappears, and. Um, and it, you know, and it's like any other road. It's like any other journey. There are uphills and downhills, you know. So you start feeling a little down, and and all of that. And and um, I was on the board at that time, the board of governors for a art center here that I in the city that I live in, in Middletown. And 
um, they were looking for a way to raise some funds because they are a 501c3. And I said, you know, well, um, why don't we try to get a nationally known artist here? And, and I had heard about Kevin McPherson, and um, I said, I'll contact him and see if he can do a workshop. So I did contact him. I sent him an email via his his website, and his wife Wanda wrote me back and said that he wasn't doing website or wasn't doing workshops at the time. And then about and I said, you know, okay. So I started looking down the list to see who else I could could contact. Um, but then Kevin wrote me a note back, um, which I kind of laugh at now because that's kind of the way that uh, Wanda and Kevin work <laughs> together. It's like also Wanda will say one thing and then Kevin will come back, you know, because he wasn't he doesn't type. He, very well. So, anyway, I got another note back from Con- from Kevin about um, oh, a four, about four weeks later, and uh, Kevin said, you know, I don't do workshops, but I'm wondering if you'd like to do, uh, you know, if you could exhibit my Reflections on a Pond series that I just completed a few years ago, and I'm looking for places to to show it. And I said, well, I have to take it back to the board. So I went back to the board at Motown art center and told him about it and um they said well yeah we'll do it but you have to raise you know ten thousand dollars to cover his expenses through sponsorships or this isn't going to happen and i said well you know i as i don't want to leave kevin hanging so you know what's my time frame for trying to raise this money and they basically gave me two and a half months and um so I pulled together a whole bunch. I, I called Kevin back on the phone, and I told Kevin what was going on. And he says, well, let me know if you need any help. And I said, absolutely. So I went and I drew up a bunch of letters and sponsorship packages. And this was where the training from Procter & Gamble really came in, because I could think from a business side, what is it that I can give these businesses by sponsoring this exhibition and this, this gallery? So um, I sent out all of these letters. I filled out grant applications. I did a whole bunch of things. But I raised the money in about four weeks. And we made plans wow. with Kevin. Yeah, it was, you, when you put your mind to something, <laughs> you can do it. Um, but, you know, so I, I did that. And, and then Kevin and I were working together for that whole time. And, and Kevin asked me if I would start working for him. And I said, sure, but, um, you know, I want you to mentor me painting-wise. And he says, we can do that. So aside from being kind of an assistant that got a little bit of pay, um, I also got mentored by Kevin for my art. And then we started a business uh, called Artist Mentors Online, which uh, if you were listening to Art Chats before I partnered with uh, the Artist Network, um, it was called Ammo Art Chat, or Ammo for Artist Mentors Online. And then that was a uh, business that Kevin and I co-founded. Kevin would teach art lessons online. We had about 12 lessons that we did, and and he would give a really thorough critique. They would do the lesson, and then he would give a very thorough critique. Uh, We did that for about two years, and um, Kevin has since um, got a real interest in China, so uh, Artist Mentors Online is kind of shut down. I was the business side of Artist Mentors Online. Um, I would give out business lessons and um, business advice and maintain the website and a whole bunch of other things that all became a part of it. We used to have a little magazine for the members, and um, I would contact people and ask them to write uh, articles for the magazines as well as I would write articles for it as well. So there was where my writing skills came in again. And, um, And Kevin and I are still friends today, and I could send him at any point one of my paintings and say, give me your critique on this, and he'd be more than happy to do it. Um, through Kevin, then I met Joanna Arnett, and it's 
and she became a mentor and a very good friend. And then through MOR Chat, I met George Gallo, and George and I have become, and his wife Julie, have become very good friends of mine as well, as well as mentors. You know, any one of those folks I can ask for advice from. Um, and this, the working relationship with Kevin as well as with Joanna and with George has really turned um, a lot of the things that I, you know, my, my art journey, if you will, around because um, each one of them is strong in a different area of uh, art around technique. You know, Kevin is very strong plain air-wise, um, you know, color relationship-wise, uh, composition. You know, he's very strong in all those areas. Joanna Arnett, as well as being strong in those areas, I look at her as being strong, very strong in drawing. So if I ever have perspective or proportion issues, you know, I usually go to Joanna. And George is, is um, you know, very textual painter and a color expressionist, as, as I like to call him. Um, and I just love his vibrant colors and how he has everything playing off of one another. So when I go talk with George, you know, it's usually George and I are talking about thick paint and color. So... Um, mm -hmm. I don't think I don't think I would have been staying. I don't think a lot of things would have happened for me if it wasn't for my relationship with Kevin and Joanna, and especially you know, George too. At this point, um, like I said, Kevin's nope. spending about six or seven months of the year out over in China, so it's a little bit harder to get in, in touch with him. Mm -hmm. But um, but yeah, I mean, we I can drop him an email or call him just about any time. So and that's a that's a good feeling. So let me ask you, you know, I know a lot of people out there and they, they take the workshop and they, um, you know, kind of like piddle around here and there and they wonder how to get a mentor. And I tell them just to ask. You know, just ask. And and I see that, you know, you kind of, this budding relationship you had because you asked for something else. And what I thought was really key was, you know, you know, thinking about the business side of it. Well, what can, how can this, be symbiotic. How can this person, you know, how can it be mutual? Um, and you know, asking someone, you know, do you think that do you find that other people just don't ask a lot, or you know, can you speak to anything about that? About if you want to approach a mentor in any way, in particular way, you think it should be done or advice? Well, you know, I think mentorship is the same thing as any relationship, and relationships are two-way streets. So, you know, it, it, it can't be just you give me everything you know and I give you nothing back. Um, believe me, they get offered that kind of mentorship all the time. <laughs> and and it's, not, it's, it's not very profitable for them. There's nothing in there for them. It, it, part of it is, uh, like anything else, if you build a relationship with, with someone, um, there will always be, you know, a good feeling between the two of you that you can always fall back on. Um, so, so in other words, looking at my relationship with Kevin, um, you know, he wanted me to do basically business work to help Wanda, who who basically handles his business side, uh, get more things done. And and part of the things was you go and and go out and um, help me get reflections on the pond, seen at a number of different exhibit places. And you manage all of that, and, and I'll coach you. And then through that that period, which was about six months, we came up with the idea of artist mentors online. And mm -hmm. um, you know that was you know I told him I said you know Kevin I'm not the only one out there looking for a mentor. And, you know people will pay to have you mentor them. And that's where that concept came. You actually paid Kevin 
you know, a, a pretty good sum of money for you to do these um, lessons and for him to come back and critique it. And, that, and it, this wasn't like a 200-word critique. This was, you know, probably five paragraphs of critique that Kevin did every month for about wow. 12 people that signed up for that. So it was very right. in-depth and took a lot of Kevin's time. And like I said, we did that for two years, and it got to the point where, where Kevin um, didn't have that time available anymore. Uh, which was, you know, sad, but there were, you know, it was it was a great time when, while it lasted. And But that never would have, you know, I, believe me, when Kevin called me, the first thing I did was drop the phone. And then I picked it up <laughs> and I said, I guess, you know, I guess all semblance of me being professional just went out the window. And he's cracking up laughing on the other end of the phone. And, and, and I'm like, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, I was just like, oh, my God, Kevin McHearn, there goes the phone. (laughs) (laughs) And I took up the phone. I'm like, well, all semblance of, 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 you know, being professional just went out the window, didn't it? And he just started laughing. And uh, from that point on, we hit it off really, really great. And, you know, I was shaking like crazy when I said, you know, I want you to, you know, would you be my mentor? Would you be my coach? And But part of that also, you know, that was part of P&G, too. You had to go around and find mentors to to help you in your regular business world, and you, you had to ask. And you had to give that mentor a reason why they wanted to mentor you. You couldn't just say, I want to, you know, and, it, and it's not, believe me, Vanessa, it is not, I want you to mentor me because I want to paint like you. They don't want you to paint like them. They want you to paint like you, okay? So if you like someone because of the style that they paint, or because of the technique that they use, or or whatever, you want to get inside their head to learn that technique. You don't want to get inside their head to paint like them. We already have, as C.W. Mundy told me, we already have C.W. Mundy, we already have a Kevin McPherson, we already have a Carolyn Anderson, we already have a Kwong Ho. We need a Linda Fissler. We need, you know, insert your name here. That's who we need in the art world to figure out, and that's why, you know, becoming an expert is so important. Find out what you're going to be the expert in in your art career and and learn and study that and become the expert for that. When we look at each of the mentors and the masters that are out there, they all are strong in some suit. Um, That's the reason why they're the expert and that's the reason why that they're, they're seen. If you say their names, images of their work come to your mind. Just as I say Monet, everybody gets water lilies in their head. So that's being there is a two-way street with the mentorship, and you should be able to offer something back to them. And mostly, these guys are so busy. If you, um, you know, try to be, you know, if you're good at writing press releases, and you say, hey, I'll write your press releases for you if you give me, you know, some mentoring, and see what they say. What's the worst thing they can say? Which is no, and then you move on. It wasn't. It was a relationship not meant to be. Go ask someone else. And, and there's so many local artists, too. It doesn't just, you know, I'm not saying just go out and, and shoot for the master artists and the big names that are out there. There are so many local artists that people can, can learn from that are, you know, just as talented as, as the master and the big names that are out there. So, you know, they may be even stronger in composition than some people, um, than some of the other names that, that I've mentioned. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with just going, you know, to them and asking them for their help. So you may have you may possess a skill that they don't have that actually helps them get recognized more while you're learning. Yeah, excellent. Yeah, I love that. You know, see what you can offer and um, make a proposal. You know, be bold. You have to you have to ask. 
um, if you don't ask, the answer will be no. So you have to, you know, just go for yeah. it sometimes. Great. Absolutely. So I, if you never ask, that, that if you you said it right there. If you never ask, the answer is no right away. So you've already yeah. lost. So you yeah. only have the game. You only have the game yeah. by asking the question. Yeah, absolutely. So I, you know, I'm so excited to talk about this next part. Is your your internet radio show called Art Chat? Um, so can you tell us a little bit how this got started, and you know what what how has this helped you kind of with your art skills, and you know how has this really helped shape up your art career? Okay, um, we actually Kevin and I, uh, as part of the marketing part of Artist Mentors Online. Uh, decided that we would do like a 30-minute show on Blog Talk Radio because it was free and we didn't have a lot of money when we started up the, the Artist Mentors Online um, company. So we started off doing that, and, and Kevin's whole intention, bless his heart, was that it was going to promote me on the business side, that I was going to talk about business things. Well, it failed miserably. And I'm not saying it failed miserably because I don't know business. It just failed miserably because there are thousands upon thousands upon thousands of websites and talk shows and you name it out there that has to deal with marketing art. And it was just one more voice in this huge forest. And um, it, the format was wrong. It, you know, we, when I sat there and looked at it, it was like I wasn't giving anything uh, unique. I wasn't offering anything unique. Uh, to that with the, the format of the show that we had. It was very hard to get anything in in 30 minutes. So, you know, I took the learnings from that, and, and I said, well, you know, maybe we don't do this. And it was really hard for Kevin to put that time aside with his busy schedule to do it. Plus, it's hard for wanting to do it, but, you know, it just it was getting harder and harder to schedule with Kevin, and, and I just said, you know, you have more important things to do, like stand behind your easel. Then do this, and he says, "Well, so do you." <laughs> I can stand behind your easel, and I was like, "Okay." Mm -hmm. So we let it go, and uh, it wasn't the right time for it, and it wasn't the right format. And like I said, I sat down one night and said, "Well, what did I learn from that?" And I basically, literally, went out and did a Google search on, you know, art marketing business on those three words, and uh, millions of links came back. And I was, I was nowhere near the top with the show, believe me. And I was just like okay, well, there's a lesson learned. It's like, you know, what can I uniquely bring to to these people if they're already getting hit with thousands and thousands of references on how to market your art? And I, I said, I need to come up with something unique, something that's going to actually, um, people will actually be interested in. So we had a meeting out in Taos uh, where Kevin lives, and we had our protégés, which are the mentoring students that, that uh, Kevin was mentoring at the time, we had them in for a workshop, a three-day workshop out in Taos in the middle of February. <laughs> if you ski, it was great. If you don't like snow, it's the worst place to be. And I'm not a snow person, even though I live in Ohio. But um, we, we all met out there, and I was talking with them just informally, and I said, you know, if you could, um, if you could direct someone to do an a, uh, Internet radio show, what would it be on? You know, art wise, and and they just looked at me and they said art skills, and I said, really? And they're like, yeah. And I said, but you're sitting here in a workshop. What? We, you know, so we talked about it a little bit more, and I, I came back from that meeting and I said, I said to Kevin, I said I want to start a show where we where we focus. Each show is focused on some particular art skill, and we go to that go to an artist um, and have them on the show, and um, 
and, and have them talk about that particular thing. Like we had Carolyn Anderson on that talked, and she talked about Mastering Edges, and it was one of our highest highest listened to shows. And I said, you know, so I want to do it. And he says, oh, that's, you know, that's a great idea, but he goes, I don't have time. And he says, so you, this is yours. I don't want to do it. You go do it. And I said, that's fine because I don't want you doing it. I'll have you on as a guest, but I don't want you doing it at all. And he's kind of <laughs> laughing. And I said, you know, I, and it was just great because we had the kind of relationship where we could say that to one another. And I said, so I said, I'll, um, I said, we'll see how it goes. And I said, you know, if it doesn't work, I'll, it'll kill, you know, I'll kill it too. And he says, no problem. But it, it was interesting because we had the first show that we did was uh, What Makes a Painting Great. And it was uh, myself and, and two other protégés that were, um, and friends, art friends that were on it. They became my co-hosts later through it. Um, and then uh, it, it was just getting really hard to schedule everybody's um, time again because, uh, you know, our lives are all busy and, and it's a matter of prioritizing and a lot of them are um you know, by doing the show, I have less time in front of an easel, if you will. So um, it came, you know, we did that show, and there was there was a nice response to it. And then I started to, talking to artists to come on the show. And I have to say that everybody I have ever approached to be on this show, because they do not get paid for this show. Um, I don't have the money to pay them, and and gracefully they <laughs> and, and thankfully they have not asked for any money. Um, but I do allow them to promote on my show, so they can come in if they have a new video. They can come in and talk about the video if they're going to, you know, it, it gives them exposure. So um, and they recognize that that's a really good thing, and so it's really nice because uh, everybody that I have ever gone to um, have come back and said, you know, yes, I, I want to come on. I want to talk about art skills. I don't want to talk about the business side. I don't care about the business side. I need to talk to people about the art skills side. So they were really happy that I was going to um, to do that, to actually do a show on, on the art skills. And, um, you know, like we, I I was always surprised because one of my mottos is, is, you know, you definitely have to ask the question. Um, and if they say no, then you move on to the next person on the list and, and you don't worry about it. It's don't take it personally type of thing. And, um, I I can remember when I uh, wrote Kwan Ho uh, a note and I asked Kwan to be on the on the show and I'm thinking you know he's going to say no and and he wrote back he said would love to give me a call and he gives me his phone number and I call him on the phone and I'm like going I can't believe I'm talking to these people <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> you know it's like yeah so so and we had Kwan on the show and he talked about the evolution of seeing and we talked about how we see differently than um, you know, like than maybe Claude Monet saw back in you know, in his time and, and how people saw back when they were doing cave drawings all the way up to today. And it, it was a really interesting uh, whole conversation. Was, it, it was wonderful talking with him. And like I said, we had Carolyn Anderson on, and she talked about mastering edges. And we had David LaFell on, and, you know, and he talked about abstract realism and, and actually, you know, seeing past the actual object that's in front of you. And, um, so it's been really well received, and uh, I, I've done live broadcasts from um, different conferences. We're getting ready to go out and broadcast live from the Representational Art Conference. So, and I think the the whole unique part of why that became so successful is that I'm not talking about business. I'm talking about the skills you need, so that the business side of it becomes a lot more easy. If there's a there's a saying we always said at Procter and Gamble, which was, you know, 
if the product's really good, you can have the worst marketing plan in the world, but the wor- but the best marketing plan in the world won't sell a bad product. And one of the things was that with P&G is the marketing had to match the product, and if the product wasn't there, then you didn't get to market at Procter & Gamble. As a matter of fact, you could, the project pretty much got killed. But, um, you know, so, so it comes back to art skills. It always comes back to art skills. If your art isn't there, uh, if the skills aren't there, if the techniques aren't there, if you don't know the basic stuff, um, you aren't going to get very far. I don't care. I don't care how good your marketing plan is. You're not going to be up there with the big guys. You're not going to be winning competitions if your art skills aren't there. So, and a lot of the master artists, um, you know, recognize that and through the show are very generously giving a lot of advice and giving it free. Mm-hmm. So, you know, do you think that, you know, speaking of marketing, do you think there's too much marketing, you know, too much, um, do we, hmm, what's a good way to market? You know, you talk about all this marketing, do we pay enough attention to it, you know, what, can you speak to that a bit more? Yeah, I mean, I was out, um, you know, I'll make it somewhat personal for me, um, I was out marketing a bad product and wondering why it wasn't going anywhere. And like I said, this was probably, you know, 10 years ago when I was a hobby and hobbyist and I was putting two hours a, a week of um, work into painting. And there's nothing wrong with being a hobbyist, okay? There's nothing wrong with that at all. And you can study just as hard as someone who wants to be a professional in doing it. Um, but at my my product at that time was not something that was going to stand up in the market today as being something um, worth buying at the price that I was asking for uh, at that time. So there's, I, I really think a lot of folks get out, you know, into the, to the, I'm going to sell this because somebody's going to want to buy it a little bit too early in their career. I, um, I made a conscious decision at some point that I had to become an expert at what I was doing and backed off entering competitions backed off trying to sell my work um, and just basically said for the next so many years I'm going to stop and and not worry about competitions, not worry about selling, but really start to understand everything that there is that I need to understand to start making my art better. And I stopped marketing. And I, I really think with the advent of social media and um and the web and, and everything it you know, folks are out and those hundreds and millions of, of marketing websites that are saying, go out and do this, um, I think there's a lot of art out there. Juliet Aristides, who is a, a wonderful classical realist, I think said it the best way, uh, and that is the world doesn't need a lot more art. It needs a lot more thoughtful art. And what she meant by that is that, uh, you know, you need to you need to be making art that is thought-provoking, that people are moved by. Um, for and and again, this is my point of view. Other folks may vehemently disagree with me, and that's fine. Um, I think there's room for everybody. But you know, my goal isn't just to to put out a, a bunch of art. My goal is to put out art that that a viewer gets moved by, that can transcend a viewer. Um, and and so, to me, marketing has become a lot less important. Um, and 
there are a number of uh, folks that are out there that are are saying, you know, go out and market yourself, and 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 you and you may possibly be in in that. And I guess there's a lot of tools that I used over um, over the years. One of them was it's called a OGSM, which is Objective Goals, Strategies, and Management. And I used that tool to really hone in on my art skills. What was it I wanted to learn? What was my objective? You know, what are my goals? And then you set your strategies on how you're going to attain those goals, and then you set your measurements so that you can determine whether or not you're meeting your goals. And when I applied, that's an, that's an industry uh, tool. Procter & Gamble used it a lot. Um, and when I did that with my art, uh, I actually started seeing much, much more improvement. I actually started selling more. I actually started getting commissions. Um, you know, I don't really compete. I'm not a competitor when it comes to that. I've had too much competition in my life as it is. Um, so the, the show's been a great outlet uh, for me to do uh, the shows because it's also provided a way for me to learn more uh, while I'm interviewing the artists that I interview. So um, I, I really think that marketing-wise, it, it's it's very competitive out out there <laughs> and. Um, I, I think sometimes we put a little bit too much emphasis on marketing, especially with um, the, the social media outlets that are out there today. And, and there are some artists who are getting seen that may not get seen by the corporate art world. Um, and and there, so there's, it's a double-edged sword. There's good things and there's bad things. So I guess my advice would be, you know, make sure that what you're marketing is uh, your best product at this time because it's going to continue to get better, especially on your journey. But always make sure that it's, it's the best and, and also keep in mind that the weakest point in your painting is the strongest that your painting is going to be. So um, if you have, mm -hmm. if you if you visually can see those weak points, um, you probably don't want to show that one. Uh, you know, right. that, that's a weak painting. So you know, if you look at something and you go, this is really good and I can't see any weak points and maybe you run it by some of your artist friends and they're saying, yeah, this is one of your best pieces, you know, fine, go out and market that. But I don't feel a need to see everybody's bad, <laughs> if you will, uh, art along with everybody's great art. You know, I'd rather just see the great art. Mm -hmm. So, like, yeah, so, so I... Yeah, what you said about, you know... I think it's really important for a lot of people is, you know, what is your goal as an artist? You know, what's your objective? How you kind of formulate a little bit of a plan, like, well, what do I need? I need better art skills, so I'm going to get this and take these workshops. And then in six months, reassess and see how you're doing and, you know, get a critique and, and, and get some feedback. So I liked that one a lot. Um, a little bit of corporate, corporate uh, advice that helps run that whole side of it. Yeah, yeah, and, and you know, there's nothing wrong with saying I'm not ready to market my work yet, and you know, that was probably one of the best things I did when I had to step back and say, why isn't this working? It's like, well, maybe the product isn't where it needs to be. Um, you know, yeah, it hurts, but um, believe me, it puts you back on <laughs> it puts you back on the right trail to on the right track to get back to to where you want to go and. If you put a great plan in place to get that art better, I mean, you know, if you live out on the West Coast and even up on the East Coast, um, there are some great ateliers that are being formed that have a lot of um, great study opportunities with them. So, uh, 
that that whole landscape of art education is changing right now, and it's, you don't have to have the money to go to college. As a matter of fact, said art, like you were saying, workshops and, and uh, ateliers. Um, you know, there's Grand, Grand Central Academy, I think, in New York City. Um, kind of pricey, probably, but if you're into it, um, that's one place that you can go and learn on the East Coast and then the West Coast. I, and I believe um, Jacob Collins and Grand Central Academy has like a six-week six class, but they're on the web. You can look them up. And then out on the uh, West Coast, there's Jeffrey Watts has a, a, an atelier. Uh, Juliet has an atelier up in um, the Pacific Northwest. They're starting to move inland. Uh, again, you know, um, just there's so many art centers around that offer classes that even if you just getting another person's point of view when they're looking at your art is, is um, can be scary, but uh, usually helps you grow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, any other advice that you can think of that you want to make sure we get out to our listeners today? Well, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't, <laughs> I guess I'm probably going to be a little bit different than, than the rest of your uh, folks that you have on. Um, but, you know, I guess I, I also see a, a lot of um, and hear a lot from from um, artists. Like, we think a lot about our work and we think a lot of our work and we need to as artists. You know, we have to know that what we're doing is something that we love and we're passionate about and that our work is good. Uh, we can't, you know, God forbid we ever become Vincent Van Gogh, although you know, we would love to be him now because his work is, is wonderful and, and we, we see the value of it, but the, the poor guy was so tortured <laughs> by, by his work that, you know, he ended up committing suicide. And, and So I don't like to see artists that totally get down on their work like that. Um, but if you just look at Vincent's short career, you know, he was on a journey, He, but he never enjoyed it. He he was just so obsessed with, you know, making that masterpiece, um, and it, it just took him down. And today, I mean, if he was alive today and, and saw how many people love his work, you know, I, I don't know if it would have brought him out of the depression that he was in or not, but, you know, it's, it, it was... And I'm not saying that you have to die to become, you know, great either, but there's, there's got to be this happy medium between um, being totally depressed that my artwork isn't where it's supposed to be and where my artwork is going to be when I finally do pass on of natural causes, <laughs> not because I take my own <laughs> life. But, um, you know, it's one of these things where it is going to always continue to get better. So live in the moment and experience it all. Even the smallest victories. I mean, I had a nice um, experience happen in my own hometown here in Middletown. And it were a little steel town and between Cincinnati and Dayton, two big, big towns. And um, there was a contest held locally. Uh, the winner of that contest, their art was going to be on the cover of a CD. And um, there were... Mine was picked to be on the cover of the CD, and we did prints of it. And uh, the, the people that put this whole CD and the whole thing together it was a fundraiser for to save a local building, uh, old historical building that we have here in town. And um, the, the folks that put that fund, fundraiser together did an absolutely wonderful job. And, and I'm telling you, just here in my own town, 
you know, I felt like a queen because of the way that they, you know, they were going, they loved the, the painting and it was on the cover of the CD and I heard so many compliments from people I didn't even know that lived in this town um, that loved the artwork and how much that it fit the concept that they were talking about. And so, you know, even the smallest victories, you know, there's people outside that would look at that painting of the, of the Sorg Opera House and go, I don't understand. But that connected with so many people here in my hometown that all of a sudden now they know about my work. So, you know, had I not submitted something for that, that particular contest, you know, there's this whole area of something that I would have, this reward that I would have missed out on had I not done that. So, you know, don't always look at just the big picture. There's, there are things that, that are small that are so rewarding that, you don't want to miss those either. So just slow down and take things a little bit at a time. And, you know, I was expecting things when I first left P&G. I was expecting that things were going to happen, you know, like one one month right after the other. One day I'll wake up and I'll be discovered. And uh, it doesn't work that way. It's all the hard work that you have to put in on that journey. At some point the rewards start to come in. And so my advice would be just, don't worry about that. That comes to you when the time is ready, when the universe is ready to give it to you. So just keep marching on, enjoy the painting that you're doing, and don't worry about the other stuff. Hone your business skills, get your objectives in there, you know, learn what find out what your objective is, take you know, get your goals together, put your strategies together and just keep marching along and taking your measurements along the way. And at some point Enjoy all those little rewards that come along the way, too, because they're just as important as any big reward that's going to come along later. Mm-hmm. Does that make any sense at all? It does. <laughs> you know, and it's actually, you know, the, the question I wanted to ask, I'm asking everybody this question, is, you know, looking back to when you were beginning on your journey, what is the one piece of advice or strategy you would have loved to hear early on? Hmm, that's a hard one to answer. Um, I would say, I don't, you know, I, the thing that keeps pumping, bopping back and forth in my head is a, a kind of a, a disagreement that Kevin and I had gotten into, and um, you know, I was so busy early on in my in in him his mentoring of me, I wanted to impress him so much that I kept painting the way that I was painting before, and and it was wrong. <laughs> it was a, it was bad, and um, I remember saying to Kevin, it, very frustrated one day. Um, you know, I'm just trying to I'm just trying to impress you. I just want to impress you. And Kevin said to me, "Quit trying to impress me and do what I tell you." And and I think that that was probably the turning point of me switching off my ego of wanting to him to go, wow, I haven't seen anybody paint like that before, which was kind of, you know, narrow-minded because, my God, how many people has he seen? <laughs> you know, he wasn't going to be impressed with what I was doing, whether it was right or wrong at that point anyway, because he was mentoring me and teaching me. So it, it was don't, you know, stop trying to impress everybody and just create, just be who you are and just let that come out. And you'll be amazed at how many more people will recognize what you're doing when you get that ego out of the way and just create. 
That is very wise advice. Very wise advice. Thank you for that. No, you're welcome. It's harder to do <laughs> than it is to say. So. We've all been there. We've all been at the workshop being like, look at me. Aren't I great? Am I impressing you yet? And it's it's not about that. You know, you're there to, to kind of get to the nitty-gritty and peel back those layers that aren't really working for you and and learn. Yeah, you got to yeah. put aside the ego. Absolutely. Right. And and we've all been at the workshop where we've had, pe- had some people do that. And, um, you know, and they may get, be getting some attention, a little more attention than, than you're getting, but uh, that's not the purpose of why you're at a workshop. You know, it's if you if you got to put that ego aside and, and learn. And um, believe me, if you do that, you're going to walk away from that workshop uh, getting a lot more praise from that leader of that workshop than you will if you're the one always standing there saying, look at me, look what I did. If mm-hmm. you're really there to learn and you're really asking questions, you'll get, um, you'll, you'll actually start to build a better relationship with the workshop, the person leading the workshop than, than the person standing there going, isn't this great? Didn't I impress you? <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. believe me. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So um, what is, what's up, what are you going to be going for next? What's going on in, in the near future for you? Well, we just um, we just started this great partnership with ArtistNetwork.com, uh, which is F and W Media. They're the ones that um, that are they're probably the biggest um, art publishing company, uh, at least in the United States, if not worldwide. They have a lot of people under their umbrella. Um, things like the Artist Magazine, and then they have their online presence, which is Artist Network and Artist Network TV and Artist Network University. So I teach. Um, two courses over at Art, Artist Network University. One is Getting Started with Oils, and there's another one that's called um, Art Challenges. And uh, there are four art challenges that have to do with four of the main pillars of um, of art skills, of, of a great painting, and like drawing, value, composition, and then getting emotion into uh, your work. And... Um, it's really interesting because that uh, that particular one focuses on uh, all that that uh, information and gives you a lesson that you have to um, do. And then I would provide comments about how well you met that what the lesson is. So that's over at Artist Network University, and and that's starting up I think um, in the middle of March, like uh, March 11th or something like that. And then I've got um, some live. Uh, talks to do out at the Representational Art Conference. I come back from that and we'll be um, dealing with, um, or actually we'll have Joanna Arnett on the program. Uh, Joanna will be talking about drawing. Uh, We'll be talking about what she calls the elephant in the room, and that is that nobody wants to draw. And Mm -hmm. then on March, uh, on May 9th, nobody wants to draw. (laughs) I can raise my hand on that one. And then on May 9th, Kwang Ho will be joining us for a discussion, and we'll be actually talking about um, probably about three or four different things. But he's been doing a lot of paintings with minimal color lately and experimenting around that. So we'll probably touch on that a little bit. Um, And then I think I'm going to be going to France in May, so I can't wait to have a whole new set of um, 
of uh, photos and sketches that I could be able to work from in the uh, gallery and or in my studio, I mean. And then um, also working on an art book with George Gallo, and I'm also working on another novel with George Gallo. So I have enough to keep me busy. <laughs> so. You you have quite the busy like a full dance card here coming on. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. And then I've also been uh, I mentioned the Sorg Opera House that I did the painting for. They've actually asked me to become part of the board of directors with them, so I have that coming up as well too. So it's um, going to be interesting. <laughs> yeah, you seem to be manifesting quite a few amazing opportunities coming up. So congratulations on those. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's um, it's fun. And then, like I said, these are only the things that I know about. Who knows what what's actually around the corner that the universe has put in store for me? So, <laughs> we'll we'll probably six months from now, you probably come back, and those whole things will be, you know, changed. So. <laughs> <laughs> right. You got to stay open, one step at a time. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, it has been such an honor to interview you today, and thank you for, you know, all of your wonderful tips and advice that you have given. Uh, I really appreciate it, and I know everybody out there is really going to be feverishly taking notes as they're listening to this. Well, I hope so. I hope they found it uh, informative, and if they have any questions, they're more than welcome to contact me, and um, I'll try and give them an answer. <laughs> so. Great. Can you just give us your website one more time? Yeah, the website, uh, my website is www.lindafissler.com, and it's F is in Frank, I is, I S is in Sam, L-E-R. Great. Great. And you also have two really fabulous free gifts for us that are on the Telesummit website. And Everyone who's listening, you can go over and get those for you. Um, a YouTube video as well as an ebook. Is that correct? That's correct. Great. Um, you, we definitely you want me to... Yeah, you yeah. Do you want to go ahead? Yeah, real quick. Okay, if you want to do that. Okay. The, the YouTube video is a video that actually will walk you through creating an, uh, an OGSM, which is the Objectives, Goals, Strategies, and, and Measurements. So it will show you how to do that in Excel or on a piece of paper, whatever you have available to you, and it will walk you through um, creating one of those. So that's that's that. And then the book is actually just um, something that I hand out in, when I teach down here at the Art Center, and it's um, a little ebook that's that talks about creating um, value, creating form through value and light. I think is the name of it, but. Uh, basically, just it's a real basic little thing. It talks about um, you know the the seven, if you want to call them scientific points about creating form and how core shadow and reflected light and light and highlight and all of those things work together to create that depth that we see in the two D paintings. Great, that sounds they both sound really fantastic. And um, so make sure everybody that you go claim your free gifts. They're available on the Create Make Money Be Happy Telesummit website. So thanks for being with me today, Linda, and thank you to all of the listeners. Remember, this replay is available for 24 hours only. So head on over. Make sure you, um, if you want to access this for a lifetime, go on over to Create Make Money Be Happy slash VIP so you can gain access to them. And all of the interviews 
are going to be packed with juicy creative tips, strategies, and so much more. Make sure you go ahead and grab your upgrade today. I have enjoyed serving everyone here today, our artistic community, and I want to want you to remember that you already have what it takes to be the artist that you dream of. It is time for you to take the next step and claim what is yours. You know, this event is packed with great wisdom and strategies, so please make sure you share them with friends and peers and colleagues so that they can benefit from this as well. Just go ahead and send them on over to Create Make Money Be Happy website so that they can register for free. I look forward to being with everyone again on the next interview. And once again, I am your host, Vanessa Viscarando-Pachet, and it has been such a pleasure having everyone with us. Make sure to go out and have a creative day. Thanks again, Linda, for being with us. You know, thank you very much, and uh, I wish everyone a wonderful journey. And like we said, don't rush it. Just enjoy it where you're at and can continue on. All right. Well, it's been a pleasure, and um, I just want to go ahead and say goodbye to everybody for now. Bye, Linda. Bye, Vanessa. Thank you so much. The moderator has left the conference.